Okay, we'll go testing, testing, testing. Are we good to go? Hello everyone, it's Christian here. It is the day after Valentine's Day. And my gift, instead of a girlfriend, it was, it was Alex Karp and his messaging uh, in terms of his shareholder letter and his commentary, which is very interesting. You know, I was, I, was, I was ranting on Twitter this morning and I was saying, I think the earnings, it's steady. It shows that the business is chugging along. But fundamentally, the whole of this year, Really, the business hasn't shown exponentiality, specifically within the financials, but there are a few intangible qualitative factors that I believe are really important to compute when it comes to the future outlook of the company. Look, if you're holding this company for two years, you get, you're going to be in for a bad time. But if you're holding this company as I am for probably 10 years, five years as an absolute minimum, I believe that this is a real generational wealth opportunity. Now, obviously, this is no financial advice. This is my sole opinion, and it's very contrarian and controversial specifically in this current market. But that's my thesis. I'm holding for a long period of time. I think the company is doing very well. My average price is, is fairly fantastic, to say the least. So if you want to hear more of that contrarian thought, then please do subscribe for free because everyone loves free, free stuff. Free, 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 dantons.com. You can subscribe for free to the Deep Dives newsletter in which you get one email a month, no spam at all, only quality value-driven content. It's really beautiful. So within this video, I want to go over Morgan Stanley's report on Palantir and their concerns. And I'll tell you before you start watching, it's very controversial, it's very damning, and they're not happy whatsoever. They have a price target of around $8 per share, nothing too fantastic. This, by the way, was originally shared on Danton's Premium, in which you can support the channel for $3 a month or simultaneously gain access to a wide range of perks, including daily exclusive private videos, podcasts, interviews, articles, research, so on and so forth, and the ability to access the private chat in which we speak on a daily basis in regards to Palantir, technology, investing, so on and so forth. So if you're interested, then please do support for solely $3 a month. It's like one cent a day or something. Please do join. It would mean the world if you were on board. So the title of this report, which was shared previously on Dantons.com Premium, was in reference to gap profitability improving, but growth continuing to slide. And as a summary, the analysts of Morgan Stanley stated, a flipped gap profitability represents real progress in bringing down stock-based compensation. However, with revenue growth rates decelerating in Q4 and expectations to fall further in the full year of 2023, and non-gap operating margins still down, year over year, we find that the valuation paradigm is difficult to underwrite. They pose a question to start the report off. When is this Palantir's time to shine? Palantir's management, is, as we'll get to within one moment, reiterated the fact that Palantir thrives within chaotic scenarios, yet I don't think we've seen that this far. When is Palantir's time to shine, they question. Morgan Stanley mentions that like most software companies in our coverage group, Palantir has seen a weak macro-environmental pressure growth throughout the full year of 2022, coming into the year at 34% year-over-year growth rate in the fourth quarter of 2021, and exiting growing 18% year-over-year in the Q4 results announced this evening. For the quarter, Palantir again delivered a slight top beat, with total revenues growing 18% year-over-year to just over $509 million, beating consensus by just 1%, despite the fact, by the way, the consensus and expectations were drawn down, so I wouldn't necessarily call this a beaters per se. They mentioned this was led by better than expected US governmental growth, offset by slowing US commercial growth and continued weakness in the European business. For me, this is really interesting because if you have read the deep dive summary of Palantir, which is about 7,000 words that is available for free on Dantons.com, then you would have seen that quarter my thesis is in recognition of the US commercial growth. Why? Well, because if you look throughout history, 
the US ingrained within their atomic nature and culture is this idea of entrepreneurialism, innovation, thriving success of business and organizational agility. That is the very nature of the US, despite the fact that we still have these radical kind of political wars about what a woman is. The fact of the matter is, regardless, that innovation thrives within the US and it's often a leading variable when it comes to technological adoption. It's a place that I would want to bet on in terms of a leading variable as to what we're going to see elsewhere within the world later on. And if you read the article that I posted, which is about 7,000 words on downtimes.com, you can see various examples of that, including the likes of the radar, in which throughout World War II, created by individuals originally within the US, was literally transformational in terms of directing the course of World War II. It led Britain to basically win. The point of the matter is, the US is renowned for innovation and it's often a leading variable when it comes to technological adoption. I've been thinking whether, I do think that far too many people place a mass level of overemphasis on quarterly results. Now, quarterly results are very important, don't get this twisted, but quarterly results are not the be-all and end-all. As I stated at the start, if you're holding palliative in 10 years, I think it's highly probable that the business is going to do fairly spectacularly over that period. In a period of a few quarters, a few months, even a year, I think this is far too reductionistic to compute as to whether a company is truly innovative and is going to change the world. Just my opinion, it's very controversial. You don't have to agree with it, it's totally fine. But the point being, generational wealth is built over a huge amount of time, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I like to use the example of Amazon, who back in their inception phases, invested within pets.com and another dot-com company at the very height of the dot-com bubble, in which they spectacularly literally lost all of their money. Now, if you were an investor within Amazon back then, would have you have sold out of your Amazon position and said, oh no, this is the end of Amazon? Or perhaps would you have acknowledged the mistake, listened to the management and their concerns and their acknowledgement of the mistake, and therefore come to a conclusion that perhaps the, the underlying business is still intact despite a flaw? I think a really good way of putting it is that businesses are like people. Just as people have ups and downs emotionally, so do businesses. And I wouldn't overemphasize the importance of one or two quarters in terms of a slight deceleration, especially within the context of Palantir, in which I believe the unique business model of acquiring, expanding and scaling really relates to the lack of importance of revenue within a quarterly basis. Over the long term, revenue is really important to compute. However, over one quarter, over a few months, revenue is kind of irrelevant. The reason as to why is because revenue is not realized instantaneously. Actually, within a period of around a year, during the acquiring phase, Palant doesn't realize revenue straight away. It's only later, once the company has been working with Palantir for, let's say, a year and a half, two years, in which mass revenue is realized. And we give an example of the tremendous exponentiality of a contract with the US military, in which started at 200,000 per piece back in 2013. And later, after expanding and scaling, the contract went to $91.5 million in value. That is the non-trivial exponentiality. So yes, revenue is important, but fundamentally we can't place too much emphasis on this. In fact, I believe a more important metric to look at is commercial customer count or customer count in general. That is often a leading variable as to where revenue will be in a year's time, let's say. Regardless, back to reality and back to the bearish picture, according to Morgan Stanley, the Billings picture they mentioned was even more severe, with Billings growth dropping flat in Q4. And Billings is basically defined as revenue plus to change in the contract liability for the period present. 
and looking into the four-year management targeted revenue growth only between 14 and 17%, with margins improving about 1% to 23%. And Morgan Stanley questions within the report as we discussed on Dantons.com Premium, in which you can join for $3 a month, we mentioned and discussed the fact that why is this more concerning for Palantir? Why did the analysts of Morgan Stanley find this more concerning? And they have three really good reasons as to why you should be concerned and perhaps even reevaluate your thesis on the company. But before we get to that, I want to just highlight some personal opinions. For me, I believe this is really confusing. Fundamentally, management have stated for such a long time that we're going to grow 30% year-over-year until 2025. They later took away that statement and instead have said nothing. They've left us in the dark. Karp said also that he met with the commercial team in the recent conference call, and he expects the commercial team to produce growth north of 40%. Moreover, he also said within a prior interview recently that he wanted to guide to $5 billion or so within 2025, implying 30% year-over-year growth as per the original guidance. However, we don't know if the company actually is guiding for that because obviously they retracted the statement and now they've left us in the dark. So it's very confusing from a managerial point of view as to what is going on within the company. We need more guidance as investors, I believe. So back to the question, why does Morgan Stanley find this so concerning for Palantir? There's three reasons. Firstly, Palantir was built for a disrupted world, and the company's embracing of the government business, in particular intelligence and defence, fundamentally was meant to pay dividends in times of war and pandemics, but these impacts are yet to have caused a material inflection in results or offset macro cycles. Government business slowed in the quarter 23% year-over-year despite easier compares. Now, I do agree with this point, the fact that Palantir have said for such a long time we're growing in times of uncertainty, you have to stay with us because we're growing in times of uncertainty. When chaos is apparent, we thrive. And I do believe that's true. But as I stated, I don't believe that shows up within the revenue instantaneously based on unique business model of Palantir. For example, within the case of Ukraine, ask yourself, has Palantir been paid a penny for that yet? I don't think so. Will they be paid in the next few months? I don't think so. Will they be paid eventually? Most definitely. And the same is true with almost every situation of chaos in which Palantir is involved with them, specifically in the case of the government. According to the CTO Sankar, he stated that when there are new things, they are delayed. He concluded within the call with analysts recently actually from Morgan Stanley that there are often complicated dynamics with budgets and this therefore can create volatility for the upside as projects get caught up in a blitz to get money out the door. The point that I'm making is I do believe that Palantir thrives within times of chaos, but I don't think the revenue is realised instantaneously, specifically within the case of the government. CTO Sankar also mentioned within a recent earnings call, we are not going to deprive customers of our software just because the paperwork is not there. And he did conclude there's going to be meaningful upside in the future with governments in the next few quarters. The US has continuing resolutions, said Alex Karp. There is just a different level of interest in what we provide. And he went on to state that if it's war in the East or balloons over our society, this is a world in which it's dangerous. This world needs AI-driven solutions and software, and there is no other company that has focused on this for the past 20 years. So I acknowledge the concerns and criticisms in relation to government. It's very concerning and irritating. But over the long term, over a multi-year period, the CAGA within the government historically, and I believe in the future too, is going to be outstanding. Karp also mentioned in relation to international government that there's strong growth coming here too. He stated that international government is likely to be very strong. Meta Constellation looks like to be the most effective way to defend your country in the world. We're already seeing countries on the border of adversaries showing a lot of interest within the product. So the second point of concern that the analysts Morgan Stanley express is this idea of prior investment built pipelines for Palantir. 
In the past, investment cycles yielded proof of concepts among prospective customers and better top-line growth in the subsequent year. After seeing operating margins fall, in the full year of 2022, the company projects growth to slow further from 24% in the full year of 2022 to 14-17% to in the full year of 2023. I believe that this is specifically in reference to the SPACs in which if the SPACs used Palantir, then Palantir would invest within these companies. It turned out to be a terrible move. Without dwelling on that one too much, because there's little rigor there if you ask me, I think we've spoken about that far too much now. Let's go on to the third major point of criticism, which is far more interesting. Thirdly, Morgan Stanley states, one concern they have is the fact that Palantir has built out commercial channels, yet these are not sustaining growth well. Over the past two years, Palantir has built out a direct sales channel and a more modular solution offering to better target the commercial opportunity. And for the third point, I think Morgan Sally are really correct. We had two major criticisms when it came to Palantir in the past, including that of a sales force and the lack of modularization. These were two issues in which we were critical for Palantir's management about not implementing faster. And as I mentioned many times, the necessity for modularization is clear. C3 AI CEO mentioned that the economic downturn is real. Our customers are scrutinizing big deals more than ever, which also makes this a smart time to launch consumption-based pricing. And when it comes to modularization, Palantir has really been doing this for such a long time. This is specifically by their consumption-based pricing model. Consumption-based pricing model allows folks to start with no commit. They started this originally in Q1 of 2022. Instead now, through this model, companies can start with the issues that they want to focus on and over time start slowly consuming more. This therefore allows for a lower barrier to entry, but also potential for the customers to move towards the full stack Palantir solution eventually. This is really important in terms of getting initial customers within the ecosystem and therefore growing with them over time. And as I mentioned, you can read on Dantons.com the case study in which a military organization started with a very small contract of only £100,000 and then later went up to a $91.5 million contract with Palantir. That is use of consumption-based pricing in full-fledged. And whilst this may result in lower initial upfront revenue as the contract and obviously the barrier to entry is reduced fundamentally over the long term, this revenue is drastically increasing. In relation to the sales force, in which I also touched upon, this was also another point of major criticism. Just until a few quarters ago, Palantir only had about 1% of the overall headcount whom was solely focused on selling the product. Alex Karp was basically the main man who got the company to $1 billion in revenue, literally just him selling the product. It's fairly amazing. But we also understand, and we heard originally about nine months ago now, the Palantir were focusing upon the ramping of the sales force. And they mentioned that it takes approximately nine months in order for sales members to be fully ramped and fully scaled towards selling the product. You need to learn the product in consideration of the technicalities and the invasive, innovative nature of the products. But the point being is where are the results? Where are the results now? Why is there not a major increase within customer growth? If the sales force is working, then why are we not seeing this customer growth increase? Surely by now, at least a few of the salespeople are ramping up more significantly in order to sell the product so they're qualified to sell the product full-time. Is that not a thing? Is that not happening? But once again, we have no commentary from management. So overall, a fairly negative twist from Morgan Stanley on Palantir, in which they note the disadvantageous nature of the company in regards to the poor sales force, the lack of modularization, or at least the fact that these are not having a material effect on the company now. They also question revenue as to why this is not accelerating more dramatically uh, in the current date. 
as I mentioned, I'm here for the long term. I'll see. I think I'm correct on my thesis. There are still many outstanding debates, but I believe Palantir fundamentally is the best technology to date in regards to enterprise software. And I'm betting on technology winning in conjunction with the agility and changes by management from a business POV. So maybe I'm wrong, let's see, but I urge you to reevaluate your thesis constantly. Don't live in an echo chamber. It's very dangerous. Regardless, I hope you did enjoy this video. If you did, subscribe and check out Danton's Premium. If you have not done so already, only $3 a month you get to support the team and I. It means the world. Thank you so much and I'll see you soon.